What's up, guys? We're back with another episode with the iconic and amazing Chrissy Ford. This lady is so many things that it makes sense <laughs> that she is a Pisces. Yes. 12th house. Is, am I correct? Is that the, the 12th house? Yeah, Pisces rules the 12th house, yeah. We rule and we yeah, rule yeah. the 12th house, <laughs> which makes us all of the star signs. And that really is what Chrissy is to me. She is a unicorn in essentially so many things, fashion, beauty, self-care, mental health. She has an amazing subscription-based newsletter called Forward Joy, which I'll let her tell you about. I'll actually let her introduce herself because it's honestly incredibly hard to intro Chrissy as a as a very multiversed creative <laughs> entrepreneur in so many spaces. I know. I think it's I think it's really interesting because I worked in magazines for almost 10 years. And then when I went out on my own, there was this pressure to really like define my title, my job title. Like, you know, I had to sort of pick like one thing to say that I was. And it was really hard for me because I grew, you know, I grew up in my career in the digital space. And like, there was no just like having one job. I ran our Instagram account. I wrote stories. I, you know, interviewed celebrities. I went on TV. I did all the, I styled, like I did all these different things. So being just one thing was like never an option for me. Um, and yeah, it was really hard for me to like define it all. But now I just say I'm a digital creator. I'm a writer. I'm a brand consultant. Um, yeah, I started a newsletter almost three years ago now. Wow. Or sorry, two years. Sorry. January is going to be my two-year anniversary. Um, and the newsletter is really like the space where I can talk about all the things I've always like really cared about, the stories I've always really wanted to share about myself um, and stories of other people that I think are just like really interesting and worth sharing in the sort of like mental health, spirituality, and just like all the things that make us human that we go through. Um, and yeah, and then I also started a diversity and inclusion consulting company with the iconic and amazing Danielle Prescott. Unhinged alumni, shout out. Yes. Um, and that is, I mean, I feel just eternally grateful to have her as a business partner. That We're has got to be a moves. trip. That's like, I want TBG to release a name and shame oh. coffee table book at the end of the when you're both like you know what we're done being like in the public and we want to retire and we don't have relationships we need to keep anymore this is like the burn book of tpg trust me i want that more than anything especially like <laughs> after the last uh, just like all of this year i think mm -hmm. it's just been really it's been really interesting to see the just like no one really cares anymore. You know, yeah. we still like, I'm thankful for the clients that we do have who get it and want to keep learning and understand that this education is ongoing. It's not like, oh yeah, you read one book and now you know everything. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you don't like, I don't know. I'm like, that's how I look at life in general. Like there is yeah. always something to learn, but a lot mm -hmm. of people are not trying to hear that. No. And I also think that, <laughs> It's, it's an interesting time because when something's topical, obviously, everybody's an activist and everybody has something to say. And then when, you know, it's not that we move on, but everything's cyclical, right? So then attention shifts yeah. to something else. And you guys, more than anybody, see the probably backpedaling of all these brands who wanted to, you know, have a stance and 
work on an activation or like present a certain voice and it must be. Yeah. I also think there's, I think there's also a thing where like so many of the white people in the industry, I think they felt like the summer of 2020 was like so traumatic for them and stressful for them that, you know, they did what they could as fast as they could. And now they're in a space where it's like, well, the threat of like getting canceled isn't there. So now I feel like they almost just want to act like the summer of 2020 never happened. They're like, well, we did what we, you know, we read a couple books and we did this, so we get it and we're fine and we're doing whatever we want. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And, and it's, it's so frustrating to you because now I think more than ever we're seeing like the comeback of all these like supposedly cancelled brands and people who I don't know it really didn't feel at the time were going to crawl out from under their hole and resurface but it surprises me in a way because we are so like the internet has receipts does not forget but then like it's you know, but then it's selective. So it's an interesting yeah, and I, Yeah. And I think, you know, even sometimes when I see things going on, I'm just like, ugh, is it worth it? You know? Yeah. I send, listen, it's like when I see things that are like really egregious, like I send an email to brands um, and I'm like, I hey, don't know what this email I, sounds like. I'm like, Hey, I saw this. Uh, here's a screenshot. And I'll usually also go back to what they posted around June of 2020 to be like, hey, just a reminder, like you said, this was important to you and you were going to prioritize this and doesn't really look like you're doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I did that with a brand like just a couple of weeks ago and they responded once. I actually didn't send a screenshot of a particular post that I saw. So they responded and were like, oh, can you send us? the screenshot, um, or what post you're referring to, I sent it to them. No response. (laughs) T. (laughs) Well, you know, it's when I get approached by brand, especially if it's like a smaller emerging brand, because I think that's, you know, you're in, you're in that time where you're actually like building your brand values. They're like, reach out about gifting or reach out about working together. And I see, I'm like, nobody represents me or the world that I exist in here in your social, in your language, in your, I mean, everything in every, your marketing. And I respond in that way. They get so defensive and the conversation goes nowhere, but also it's like, as a brand who's like trying to work with me, like, how do you feel like this is your best defense? Like, how do you feel like this is your best tactic to like engage with talent? Yeah, it's it's really challenging. I'm not going to lie. Like and I think even now like that we're 2 years out from the resurgence of Black Lives Matter and, and everything of 2020 like it's almost more painful to see what the brands are doing because you're like, "Oh, so you really don't give a fuck." Because mm-hmm. You were talking the good talk for several months and now it's just like back to what's easiest. What's easiest for them is to do what they've always done. 
because to think about anyone like outside of themselves requires too much effort. What's the most unhinged response you've received from a brand when you've called something out? Oh, I mean, favorite, um, I'll, I'll say who it is. It was Naked Cashmere and they did a breast cancer. Wait, that's so funny or- because that's the brand that I, they just, I think they just started following me and I clicked on their page and it was all. It's disturbing. Yeah. It's disturbing. It was totally whitewashing. I was like, hmm. Which is a bummer because actually a friend of mine was wearing a set of those, theirs. And I was like, oh, this is really cute. And then when I clicked on the page, I was like, oh, no. So they did a Mother's Day campaign earlier this year. And that's what something like Danielle always sends out like a preemptive tweet, like, hey brands, you still got you still got time to make sure that your Mother's <laughs> Day content isn't filled with all white women. Mm-hmm. Um and but this is the one that always, always they always slip up on. Mother's Day, yeah. And <laughs> and so Naked Cashmere did this Mother's Day campaign with proceeds going to the Breast Cancer Foundation Center. And they featured, I think, three to four mother-daughter duos, all of them white. I think even all of them blonde, except for Olivia Culpo and like her mother were in it. And so I DM'd, I, I, yeah, I think I DM'd them first and the founder responded to me. And she was basically, of course, she was like, you know, I care so much. We've donated to this and this and this organization that's, you know, run by black women. And, you know, what I said to them, I'm like, listen, I'm glad that you donate to organizations founded by black women, but also black women deserve more than just charity. They also deserve representation. Like that's the thing is like mm-hmm. so many of these brands do not see us beyond like a charity case. Right. We don't deserve to be featured in a campaign or work in the companies. We're just a oh, we'll throw some money at this, you know, at the NAACP and moment, like yeah. and and call it a day and we're we're good people. And so how did the conversation go? Um, you know, she wanted to like go back and forth with me and I'm very much like, I'm not doing this with you in the DMs. So I was like, I did get, you know, a email from your publicist. Cause that's how I saw the campaign to begin mm-hmm. with. Also, I was like, hello, breast, um, black women are disproportionately affected by breast cancer. Yes. As a South Asian woman. Um, and so I was like, I will send my consulting info to your publicist. Care let her rates. know that we had <laughs> let her let her know that we had this discussion, and never heard anything. Wow. Actually, oh, and and, and and I remember also. Sorry, she was like, she was basically saying like, oh, I don't think this, you know, this like one mistake is, you know, deserving of such hatred or like what you know whatever. And I'm like, girl, please this one little mistake. Um, but what about the way the rest of your Instagram feed looks because everyone's white? Well, speaking of that, <laughs> tea, unhinged tea, never revealed before, <laughs> is um, I did a gig once and it was honestly an experience. Like to start off with, 
I was actually pregnant at the time, but I had miscarried like shortly after, but I was like quite pregnant at the time. So I was like, by the way, like I need these sizes, like, and I can't wear, you know. I know exactly need, who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. And I was and like, I, I need. And I have an, I have an NDA. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, just going to throw that out there. Um, I'm also, by the way, not supposed to, I'm supposed to not really speak about this incident because I, you're a part of actually the call out, but um, I accidentally posted it on my real Instagram. Yeah being like fuck this brand like I am having a miscarriage and I'm bleeding through my like literal diaper and they sent me a dress in a size zero and it's white and like I've never been a size zero like definitely not like 12 weeks pregnant and like or 11 weeks pregnant and like going through like crazy hormonal changes um and so I'm like I'm literally in this dress and I'm like let me not bleed through this this dress that I can, the zipper didn't even go all the way up. And I get to the event and the event is just filled with the most homogenous looking crowd. I've like, everybody looks the same. Yeah. There's not one person of color. There's not one like person who is not a, not a thin white blonde celebrity. And yep. so I had written this like rant on my close friends and you and another friend of mine, <laughs> Maddie, was like, hey, like, did you mean to post this on Real? And then later, I, it was up, I kid you not, Chrissy, for maybe, like, 60 seconds because you guys are quick. I think, like, you know, friends in the industry who know the deal were like, oh, like, she must not have meant to post that, obviously. Yeah. Um, Especially because, like, it was immediately after the gig. And, you know, sometimes I'll, like, say, like, a little like snide thing here and there like two days later but not in the right. like height of the window of right. contracted time before they've even yeah. paid out your invoice mm-hmm. so so many people were reaching out to me being like and then I deleted it immediately but so many people reached out to me being like is this the brand and all of them got it right and I thought of course you know what you if me like recounting an experience or incident without naming you and everyone knows exactly who you are. You have a problem as a brand. And yeah. when one of the girls reached out and she was like, hey, like, just wanted to make sure you were happy with how everything went. And I, you know, shared with her, like, you know, X, Y, and Z, like, kind of what I said on my Instagram, but, you know, like, a little bit more in a softer tone. And she was like, oh, yeah, okay, like, thanks for sharing. Nothing ever came from it. Um, yeah. And... But I'm glad you shared because Mm -hmm. I messaged you about that. I was like, please, like, give them feedback because. Oh, and I did. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's another piece to this is like, people don't say anything. So then Mm -hmm. the brands also think that what they're doing is okay. And I don't want to be that represented, representative, that like person of color that they were like, we worked with her and she was happy. You know, I'm like, actually, (laughs) let me get set the record straight really quick um but yeah I, I said to the girls like this is in the fact that everybody knows this is your brand is a really big indicator that you guys need a lot of help what you're doing yeah and that should be a major priority and concern of yours but mom's the word neither of us are allowed to say anything other than that um <sighs> Okay, so now that we've discussed the NDAs that cannot be discussed, Mm -hmm. I want to talk about what I find so fascinating with you, especially at this time, the time of holidays, is your relationship with your family. I feel like I've said this to you so many times. Do you get that from a lot of people? Yes. I think 
you know, obviously because I've been living at home the last two years, two and a half years, um, although I was gone for five months this year, I think there's a lot of interest into what it's been like to be an adult. I'm 36 years old living at home with my parents. And, um, you know, it's, I love my, listen, we, we all have families. Like we know what it's like. Mm -hmm. I love my parents. I'm very close with them, but there's also certain dysfunctions that happen or that are present. Um, that also make it just really challenging to be here with them. <laughs> right. Day. And I mean, a lot of people are about to walk into that in the next few weeks with holidays coming up. And I think <laughs> I texted Chrissy before this. I was like, I want to talk about setting boundaries with family. <laughs> I think it, and that was mostly because I'm dealing with the, the management of everybody's calendar post baby. Yeah. Arriving and setting those boundaries of how long people can stay. Yeah. If they can stay with us, um, who's allowed it this and who's allowed it that? And so it really came from a selfish place, but I also know wonderful unhinged listeners that it is such a challenging time for most people. And actually yeah. you said something really beautiful about um what holidays are like for recently on Instagram that I feel like resonated with so many people. Mm -hmm. Did you get a good response around that? Yeah, I did. I think there's like this forced pressure around the holidays that like, it's supposed to be the happiest time of the year. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's my least favorite time of the year. I think it's a lot of people's least favorite time of the year. And you have a and good relationship with your family. Like you live with them. I, yeah. Yeah. And it's still hard, mm -hmm. you know, it's still really hard. So yeah, I just, I, I don't really enjoy the holidays. And I think that's also part of just like getting older and it's like, yeah, I'm a single childless adult. There's no kids around. Um, and so it kind of also like loses its like sparkle. It's just mm -hmm. like, okay, here's this thing I got for you here. Like my parents and my parents don't even buy me presents because they're like, you already have like everything you need. Like what <laughs> My mom makes me a spa appointment every mm -hmm. year, like right after Christmas. And I love that. That's my gift. But that's also, I think as people who work in this industry, we do have everything we need. And right. we have so much stuff that yeah. that's so thoughtful, right? To give you an experience yes. that she knows you're going to enjoy versus yes. adding to the accumulation. And this sounds sure. like such a first world privilege complete to have, but stuff stresses me out. Yeah. Um, one, like my mom is a major hoarder and I moved out of home young and like the thought of accumulating a lot of things, it really gives me like a physical effect. Like I, I get like hives from it and yeah. I married a hoarder and recently like I had to, no, I'm not joking. Like my, I had to have friends come over and help like declutter when we moved because it was stressing me out so much. And I was like, I can't do this on my own because it's, brings up so much stuff for me like I also am now chatting with my therapist about that about why the stuff it represents so many it just like it's Pandora's box yeah. um and you know we like accumulate an incredible amount of it's unnecessary hard. things that like yeah. holidays it's like I almost feel bad getting presents because it's I know I don't need any more things yeah 
Yeah, I don't, and I definitely don't like have that desire for like someone to buy me things. I think for me, especially because I'm such a Pisces, like for me, it's more of just like um, the thoughtfulness that Mm -hmm. someone might put into something that like, I know you would really like this. Like I saw this and I thought of you, like my dad and I actually got into like a bit of a tiff over this because for the last several years, and again, this is going to sound super privileged, but like my dad will just give me money for Christmas. And I'm Mm. like, for me, I'm like, it's not about the money. Mm. It's just like, I, I would rather you like write me a card and tell me like, you're really proud of me. And and this and that, you know, mm-hmm. or like, I've really enjoyed like the time that we've spent together, like even just like thinking about him, like writing me a card like that, like is literally making my eyes like tear up. Um, and not to say that I don't, I know that like my dad, like my dad is obsessed with me. Like he loves me and yeah. loves spending time with me. So it's not that I even need him to verbalize it, but I'm just giving as an example. It's like, I don't need money. I want like something thoughtful. Right. I. One, I have to say, I have such a bad relationship with my dad and I always watch yours <laughs> online because you guys are doing like, you know, you're going to your like cafe together and you have all your little father-daughter things yeah. that, um, I, that I, I'm looking at online and I'm like, wow, that must be so nice. Um, I know. And I'm, but, and I'm really lucky. Like, I know that for sure. But I can totally relate to that because my mom's kind of the same. She's really well-intentioned, but she's always more along the lines of, and I wonder if this is like an immigrant parent mm. natural response is to just be functional. And they're yes. always like, what do you need? What can I do? What do you need? She's always like, let me know what you want. And I'm, and my response to that is always not to be ungrateful, but I don't want to tell you how to be a parent. I don't want to tell you what I need no. and want. Like, I want you to have that maternal instinct. And yes lately like being pregnant has you revert back to your child self it's honestly so frustrating when you've done so much work to move forward because you instantly go back to like I want mommy mode and that's how it is even just living at home with my parents I I know and for so many people and now like you know we move we go back home for two weeks and then it's just like it boils down into this thing you're like why am I why am I being like this like I already have moved forward from these expectations. I know exactly what the situation is. I know why it's made me the way I am. Why is it that like the holidays or, you know, these significant milestones make us like revert back to our inner child like that, do you think? I know. It's just, it's psychology. And I've tried to actually explain this to my mom a lot because the number one thing we fight about is that my mom is very tidy and I'm not at all. Um, but I grew up with a mother who was always picking up after me or, you know, just would clean my room for me and whatnot. And so she doesn't understand that. Yes, I'm an adult, but when I'm here, I'm still, it's very easy for me to fall back into that mentality. And she just sort of expects that, I'm always going to clean up after myself. And then when I don't, she blows up at me, but then she still cleans up after me. So I'm like, you can't, I'm like, you can't have it both ways. It's like you either, I'm like, 
if you are unhappy because I've left a plate on the counter, I need you to say, Chrissy, when you have a minute, can you please come down and like clean up your plate? She's like, well, I shouldn't have to tell you. And I'm like, I understand that, but I'm like, it's just how my brain works. Like Mm -hmm. I do not. And when I also like when I'm here, I'm working from home. So I'm like, yeah, I have my lunch probably while I'm writing emails. And then I'm like, oh, wait, on to the next thing. So I just I'm done eating. I just get up and go back to my room or in, you know, the family room, sit at my desk. I'm like, I'm just not thinking about cleaning up after myself. Of course, when I live by myself, I clean up after myself because no one else is going to, but I still might not do it immediately. Immediately, yeah. But she like wants to come home and not see anything anywhere. So this is a really good, okay, how do we, what's a good diffusion or what's a good way to deal with de-escalating a situation like this? I... Yeah, like if you find out, let me know. I know, literally. You know, I I like have a mouth on me. So it's like a lot of times, like if my mom like starts with me, like I will just like, I always have to like say something, you Mm -hmm. know, and I'm trying really hard. I'm trying really hard not to do that and just kind of like let her say her piece. And I'm like, okay. And because that's all she wants to hear. She doesn't want to hear what I have to say. She doesn't want to hear me be like, oh, well, you do this because that's what I do, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and because then it just then it just ends up escalating. And unfortunately, it's like, well, not unfortunately, but like I know better, whereas she doesn't. Right. Like in how to communicate. I was actually just having this conversation with my mom this morning because I'm like, conflict resolution skills do not exist in our family and also just communication skills like between my parents um and i think like both of my parents are jamaican raising your voice is a very very common like that's something i've been trying to get them to work on a lot because they're never like yelling at each other because they're angry it's just like I think it's a desire to be heard, to like really be heard. And so they just, it goes from zero to a (laughs) hundred so fast. And I'm like, why? I'm like, can you use your indoor voice? Like, why are you raising your voice? Why are you raising your voice? (laughs) It's crazy because it's, as I said, I'm like, it's not out of anger. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, South Asians, I think a lot of, actually, I feel like a lot of most non like non-caucasian <laughs> families are like that wide like that it's so wild to me mm-hmm. and and actually one time i was having a discussion or maybe like a little tiff with one of my best friends and she was like why are you yelling and ever since she said that to me it mm-hmm. like it clicked i was like oh my god i'm doing this because that's how my that's how my parents mm-hmm. that's what I've seen and what I know it's so normalized that yeah that's just like the the you know mode of operation for me and so that is also something I for the most part I think I'm like pretty good about recognizing it and I try not to but sometimes it's hard because it literally as I said I'm like it just goes from zero to a hundred in a second 
I always think that it goes two ways, right? You either pick it up and you're almost unaware of it and then someone points it out and you're like, oh yeah, I yeah. do that and I picked it up from somewhere. Or you go so far in the other direction, like with my mom, she's a crier. And we when you talk about conflict resolution, like nothing gets resolved because it shifts back to like what was me and her crying and her being upset and it being about her. Like recently yeah. she called me about wanting my dad to come visit and you know, like I don't even speak to my dad. So it was like this, it escalated into this like over an hour conversation, which I had her on speaker and I had it on mute because there was no room like for me to engage. Like talk about conflict resolution. Like it was just a one-sided conversation. And then right. towards yeah. the end, she starts crying. And this is like kind of how all the conversations wrap up. So you, it doesn't go anywhere because it becomes like it really being about her and about her feelings. And like, I'm then torn because obviously I love my mom. I hate hearing her cry. I've also experienced almost 35 years of it. So am I a little bit desensitized? Yes. Yeah. But I remember getting off the phone and just like John popping back into the room and he goes, whoa. I'm like, yeah, honey, that's what I deal with a lot. And what sign is I, your mom? Um, my mom's, uh, uh, her birthday's in February, which makes her an Aquarius. Feb 15th. Oh, okay. Early. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I like was so dead that I couldn't even formulate a response or like even like let out how I felt because I was so drained by her emotions that it like her being that way makes me not cry. Like I can't cry because I've like gone, I've like reverted into the other way. So yeah. the only time I can cry is if I'm in a safe space. So I walk into tip therapy and I just start crying. <laughs> like in the first uh, 90 seconds of me sitting down because I'm like walking around with all this like and you're like carrying me. her and you're and that's the thing is like you're a Pisces so you take on also other people's emotions so mm-hmm. it's like you're crying for her for yourself like everything frustrating that it's frustrated that we're not resolving things because you know especially as Pisces that like we are resolvers we want to move forward and make sure everyone is heard and felt because we're empaths so yeah it's like I feel that so deeply I want things to get better I want to fix this and then it's the frustration that you can't because for whatever reason, you know, not every party has the same like level of evolved thinking or, yeah. so I get in and I just start crying. Or even the desire. I notice that I can't do that. Like I can't actually do that in my life when I want to, because I grew up in that, like resenting, like every time something would happen and my mom would cry. So now it's like, I... I'm like, okay, if you want to cry, I'm like, I'm just have to open myself. I'm like, you're upset, you can cry. And like, I like still, it just still can't formulate. Like I have it like all like held in. And, um. That's a lot. It's a lot. And it's, it's funny that you say like, there's some things, cause I agree with you. Like there are some things I definitely do, um, that my parents do that I've noticed. And, um, and when people point it out, like. I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't even realize I was doing that. And then there's some things I've gone so far the opposite way. Cause yeah. I've been like, no matter what, I can't do that. I can't do that. Like, I don't want to put that on my daughter. I don't want to put that on my partner. I don't want to put that on my friends. Yeah. 
I know I can't imagine what it would be like to have really emotional parents because minors not at all. And I think that was also difficult for me is like they didn't understand my sensitivity growing up, not even understand they didn't have the space like to even like, I don't know. They just like, they didn't have like, what's the word? I don't know. They just, they couldn't tolerate, they couldn't tolerate my sensitivity. I think it was too much for them, especially my mom. And, uh, that was always really hard for me because I'm a Pisces, Mm -hmm. I'm super sensitive. I'm a crier. Um, and I would always get the, like, why are you crying? Stop crying. Don't be upset. You don't have a reason to be upset. You don't Um, have a reason to be upset is the number one yeah. Because like, it makes it, you it, feel worse. You're like, my feelings are bad. Yeah. And it's it's really hard, I think, to even understand like the, the actually the damage that does until you're much older and you realize that um, you know, I've written about this for my newsletter because even in my romantic relationships, I have this belief that I've been really working hard to unravel that like I have to be perfect to be loved. And for me, perfect is not making other people feel uncomfortable because of my emotions. Like my ability to be loved hinges upon me not being super expressive so that people don't feel like they have to like deal with you know, my sensitivity. And that's fucked. (laughs) Do you notice that in the moment when you're with someone like I am, like prioritizing their emotional needs or desire to be happy over mine, or is that something kind of in hindsight? I think, I think for me, I get really hyper-focused on my own needs that I kind of don't even think about the other person's. Um, which obviously is also not great. And, but that's also kind of what happens when you have anxious attachment, you're just so focused on getting your own needs met or focused on whether or not the other person is meeting your needs. And most likely, you know, in most of the relationships I've been in, they're not meeting my needs. So I'm just hyper-focused on how they are not meeting my needs. Mm-hmm. That's not like, oh, well, am I meeting theirs? Or, you know, I think I've gotten better about actually having communication around that. Whereas like, I was never in a in any kind of relationship where I could even voice or even thought to voice my needs until last year, end of last year. Wow. Like had never even like crossed my mind that I could express my needs. When you were in these relationships with these partners say to you, because you're like, I want to know how you feel. I'm not getting a sense of what your needs are. We was, you know, what was that like? I, 
I think so. It's like only in the last two guys that I've dated that I've really started to practice communicating my needs. And it feels really uncomfortable for me. It feels like I'm asking like the world of someone, even though I'm not, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just that feeling of like, oh, you're too much. And the other person's not going to be able to handle what I need because that's kind of how I felt with my parents. And, you know, because again, like back to the piece also of having immigrant parents, my parents are incredible in that they were very focused on providing for me materially, of course, because they grew up poor and didn't have much. So their number one focus was we need to have a, a stable roof over our children's head, have food, clothes, you know, that stuff for them. The emotional piece was absolutely not there. Uh, because they didn't get that and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, then in romantic relationships, it's just been, it's been really difficult, but I think I've gotten so much better at understanding what my needs are. Cause I think that was also another thing. I didn't know what my needs were. And, you know, a lot of time it's around like communication and just wanting wanting to feel heard, you know, and seen by someone. Also, this concept of needy, I think, needs to be absolutely demolished. Demolished and also, I remember being in a session and saying to my therapist, I just, this person makes me feel really needy. I don't know why I'm not this. I'm not even like this. And she was saying to me, needy isn't necessarily a bad thing. It means the literal translation of being needy is to be in need. Something is not being met. And we've created this negative association where needy is not self-sufficient, needy is, you know, not, like, no one wants to be needy, right? But there's You're actually, only as needy as your unmet needs. Exactly. And so she's like, why are you depriving yourself your emotional needs and wants? Like the only person who's saying this is needy is you, right? And I actually saw, this is probably from like one of those TikTok therapists, um, but I actually (laughs) thought it was so brilliant because he was saying how actually in a relationship, meeting each other's needs, that's the glue that keeps the relationship together is the ability to meet each other's needs. So if you don't have that, you don't have a relationship. Boss, I love that. That's, that's the, that I think is the number one thing. I think when people ask me how I knew John was my person is that we meet each other on every want and need. It's obviously a work in process. Like we are not, it's not something that just happened over, like we work on that every day. But I think that's like the reason that the relationship is successful for both of us because we like actively work on that. And right. I think that, and that you trumps want to meet each other's needs. Yeah, that trumps everything. Because at the end of the day, also like those wants and needs evolve over time, right? Like as you change and you grow as a person. But speaking of communicating the wants and needs, a book that you really put me onto, Nonviolent Communication, which I've mm-hmm. then shared with so many other friends, I think is a really good place to start if you have difficulty in expressing how you feel. Absolutely. And my therapist 
recommended that book to me. I think it is such a game changer in communicating because, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it helps you reframe needs because like every human has needs. Every human has basic needs to feel like loved and cared for and respected, all of those things. And um, yeah, and I think there's just, you know, this narrative that like, oh, needing something from a partner is, is a bad thing. And it's like, it's not. And if you're in a situation where you're with someone who makes you feel needy, that's probably not the right relationship for you. Um, because everyone has needs. And so anyone making you feel like your needs are too much, it's like, they're not too much. You're just asking the wrong person. Oh, oh. well, what about sometimes when it's not a person you have the choice with though, you know, it can be the case of the romantic partner, but what about with our siblings and with our parents and with our coworkers, right? Like we have to ask those people of those things. Like we don't really have a choice with that. Yeah. What do we do in that case? Well, I think another important thing around needs is also the, our own ability to meet our own needs. And I think that is something that's really important, but I think there's this idea that like, you know, we should be able to get everything from our partners or from someone else. And that's not, yeah, that's not always going to be the case. Like you might have a partner who cannot meet a certain need of yours and you either need to like be okay with that and learn how to meet it yourself, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I think even, but I think that is the basis of like how you handle that with other, you know, in relationship to others as well is knowing that, well, you can also still meet your needs. And, but I actually, I I have two older brothers. I'm pretty close with both of them, but the oldest one I am extremely close to, but we've, he's lived away from our family for basically since I was eight or nine years old. So, you know, we've always had this like long distance relationship and communicate mostly by text. Yeah. Like that's why our relationship is so good. (laughs) Yeah. Literally. But he's like the person, you know, that I, I always like want to tell everything to. Mm -hmm. And, um, but we had a little bit, we got into like a fight at the very beginning of this year. We went almost like five months without talking. And, you know, just again, I'm like family. I'm like, he has a thing where he's also really bad at conflict resolution. I'm the only person in my family who is willing to, of course, you know, reach across the aisle to like make things better because I'm always just going to want to make things better. But I actually felt like really depleted in this situation with him where I was like, I just feel too exhausted to even begin repairing this because I know it is all on me. Like if I left it up to him, we would probably still not be speaking. Yeah. Because he's just like not going to do what's right. And of course, like our rift came, came about because... I was feeling in distress about something. I, you know, sent him this long message and hoping for him to like give me some kind of reassurance or just be there for me. And he just like was not. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, maybe like a week later, he was like talking to my dad and on FaceTime and they were trying to like rope me into the conversation. I was like, you never even responded to my text. 
And he was like, oh yeah, well, and like tried to give me the response. I was like, that was a week ago. I don't like, I don't need to hear it now. And, you know, and he just like, wasn't being like real about it. So I'm like, I don't, I don't have time for your shit. And, but yeah, then finally I got to the point where I was like, okay, I don't really want this to go on for much longer. And like, I told him, I was like, even having to be the one to bridge this conversation with you is just really annoying. And again, like it put me in this position where I feel like no one is going to like show me the like love and care I deserve unless I'm willing to push down my feelings that are maybe overwhelming or too much for you. Be the one to initiate and do the work and like. Yeah. And it's really, it's really hard. And, And I think also for anyone who's like listening to this, who is probably the only person in their family doing the work, it's like, I, I know how hard it is and I feel for you and like hope that you have other people like friends, um, you know, who, who you can also like rely on because, and you, have you know, us. that's, yes, because that's, <laughs> it, it is really hard when you're the only person in your family who is really doing the work. And when you get to that level of awareness where you can see all the dysfunction happening in real time. And, you know, I do what I can sometimes to explain to my family what is going on here from a psychological perspective, mm-hmm. but it's not ever really going to click in a way that they're like, okay, yeah, we're going to work on this. Right. Um, or they think that they can work on it, but then they just revert back to whatever their, you know, mode of operation, their standard mode of operation is. Um, and yeah, I can just all really feel like a lot. And I think remembering that we cannot change anyone. Mm -hmm. There was a period of time where I was begging, screaming, crying to my mother to go to therapy and she just wouldn't. And I finally came around to that, like, I cannot change her. So the only thing I have control over is my response and how I act. And I need to take care of myself. That's the only thing you really can do is take care of yourself because, you know, we can't. And I think it's also nice to remember that like, if you are the one that's doing the work, like it takes fucking guts, like it's hard. And that's one of the reasons why our parents don't want to, because Mm -hmm. they're too scared. And and two things can scared to like look under the hood. (laughs) And also, I think this is guilt with when you have these conversations. Like, but I do have like, but I do love my mom. I I do love my family. I know they're good people. I know they mean well. And those two things can be mutually independent. Like, your parent can be a good parent who was there for you in certain ways, but didn't meet like these needs. And those two things can be totally mutually independent of one another because. There is this, like, especially, I think, in different cultures, like, airing dirty laundry, especially as, like, a South Asian person, they're like, no, we do not go to therapy. You know, we do not talk about that publicly. We do not, you know, like, when my sister got married, my mother insisted that my dad co-mutually walked her down the aisle to say, like, not considering how my sister would feel in the situation because it was about the optics of what that looked like. Right. and. 
when there's this like when the priority is always about like how things appear it's like we can't Mm -hmm. get down to like the dirty gritty like work that we need to do because it's always about like what other people would think or how this would look like and which is just so like yeah and and, and it's also okay to like be like I understand why you're this way and I don't think it makes you a bad person like I that's like my inner turmoil, you know, because yes. I'm always like, but I love my mother. Like I, I know she's a good person. She sacrificed her life for us. Like she's, but, of course. but then you do also have to acknowledge those like other frustrations because otherwise they just build up and then you like internally can bust. Right. Yeah, I know. And I think this is also a dynamic. I want to write about this for my newsletter, but like, I think it's only in the last like few years that I've really begun to understand that like the the experience of being the offspring of immigrant parents is its own identity and its own thing like yes like being a person of color is one thing Mm -hmm. but then being the child of immigrants comes with its own set of challenges and I look at some of my you know say like white friends who have challenging relationships with their parents um and and maybe like don't don't talk to their parents because of that um you know or have these rifts and for me and i think for a lot of us it's hard because yeah you see the dysfunction in your in your parents and and all those difficulties but you know what they've done to get you where mm-hmm. you are and where they are and how hard they've had to work like you know, I grew up watching my parents work so fucking hard. It like breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a challenging as it is at the same time, it's like, well, but I'm indebted to you. Two truths can be acknowledged though. And that's, yes. the, you know, I think something we have to remind ourselves of because if we kind of never get past that sort of guilt that we have as like first generation kids, then we yeah. can't like, like how can we move forward? How can we heal if we don't actually acknowledge the situation and our feelings? If we're so caught up with like what this looks like and what they've been through. Right. And, I mean, yeah, easier said than done. I, I want to yes. be conscious of time. I know you have to go. All right, guys, we've never done this in the history of Unhinged before. In the lives and the podcast combined, but Chris, you know, in such a good place with the conversation. This is what happens when two Pisces start talking about their I know. feelings. That we know. need, I put her on the spot. I haven't even asked her if this is okay. <laughs> we need part two to this episode because otherwise this is just going to be a three hour like emotional therapy session. So I know I'm like, my eyes have like watered up so many I, times during this conversation. Me too. I keep going like this. So I'm just like, oh, I could get it to them. So I got this in a live stream. Um, we're going to be back with more. In the meantime, you can get your fix from Chrissy's newsletter which we will include in this episode's description for you to subscribe if you aren't already. And we will love and leave you and be back with more unhinged Pisces emotional goodness very soon. So thank you, Chrissy, for coming on the show. Busy lady, just to get into the city. We're going to love and leave all of you. Um, Godspeed and good luck with the holidays. Part two coming soon. Ciao for now. Thanks so much for listening to Unhinged. And if you have excellent taste and enjoyed the show, 
make sure you subscribe and leave me a loving review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at It's Amrit and submit those weekly questions for our iconic guests. I'll see you next time. Ciao for now.